in considering what to talk about this morning, um, I actually had intended to uh, continue with the series on love, the next qualities that love is not, according to 1 Corinthians 13, but I couldn't quite get it going. You know how sometimes that happens, you just got to chew on something a little longer. So decided to speak on uh, what I'm about to tell you about, and that's kind of uh, navigating the ups and downs uh, that we all experience as people, right? Emotionally, we, we have our highs and we have our lows. Um, you know, even considering right and wrong, we have our highs and we have our lows. Sometimes we're better at doing the right thing, making that decision, than other times. Sometimes we're riding a wave of confidence and happiness, right, in life. We're feeling good about things. And maybe that helps us make good decisions, right? Maybe that hinders us from making good decisions. But we have these kind of waves in life, whether it's emotionally or spiritually, or even in our intellect and in our understanding, we have kind of these waves. And so I think sometimes um, that's really one of the biggest challenges we face, right? Just as people, as humans, we experience the highs and lows that life brings us. Um, and the challenge for us is learning how to kind of navigate that, right? Um, some of us may have higher highs and lower lows than others. Some of us, you know, we would say, oh, they're more even keeled. But that doesn't mean that they don't experience highs and lows. For them, it doesn't take as much of a high or as much of a low to feel like they're really high or really low, right? That's kind of where I am. But we all experience that as humans, is riding these waves of emotion, riding these waves of confidence, um, doubt, fear, all these things that come with us. But you know what? For those of us that are Christians, we also understand that our lives need to be couched in faith, right? Our lives need to be invested in our understanding of who the Lord is and the responsibilities that brings to me, right? And so we kind of sometimes struggle with this concept of like, well, as a human, I ride these highs and lows, that's just part of like the experience of life, right? The frailty of my body and my emotions. So how do I reconcile that with faith, right? We struggle with like, how can I be confident or kind of be at the top sometimes in my faith? And then how can I be down here at this low point and still be faithful, right? And I want to talk about that some this morning by really looking at one guy that I think most of us probably would understand probably wrote some of that and that was Peter right he had kind of these high highs and these low lows that we get to see and so I kind of want to look at how um, not only Peter experienced these things like just the fact that he went through this stuff but then also look at maybe what he was expected to learn from it and then actually see Peter um, after his time with Jesus seemingly kind of still going through some of that and show us that maybe it's not as quickly learned as we anticipate. Um, so beginning in Luke chapter 5, um, Luke chapter 5, I want us to just see a little bit about Peter's history. And I think most of these things we probably know or understand, but I just kind of want to refresh our memory with some of this. Peter's history. First of all, in Luke chapter 5, we have this record for us in verses 1 through 11 of how Peter actually chose to follow Jesus, right? Jesus began his ministry 
Um, and there were those who, and really the majority of who, did not choose to follow Jesus, right? And then there were some who discipled themselves to Jesus, recognized he had a teaching that he was from God and they wanted to be learners of that. And Peter was one of those. If you look in Luke chapter 5, um, in verses 1 through 11, we'll just read this quickly. We'll see his story unfold of how he becomes a, a disciple. On one occasion, verse 1, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had got out of them and were gone and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, also known as Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing, but at your word I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So that's, that's Peter's like moment that he chooses to disciple himself to Jesus. Let's continue. Luke chapter 8. Look a little further into Peter's history here. In Luke chapter 8, we know not only was Peter just a, you know, some disciple of Jesus, but that, in fact, of all the disciples that Jesus gained through his life preaching and teaching and healing, Peter was probably one of maybe a few you could make an argument for that was the closest to Jesus. And every moment of Jesus' life, pretty much, where you see Jesus allowing only a few people to experience something, Peter's almost always in that group. Um, look in Luke chapter 8. He is one of five who see Jairus' daughter resurrected at the end of Luke chapter 8. Um, if you go to verses 40 through 56, you kind of have this story unfold that this man has a daughter who's sick and she's 12 years old. We're not going to read the story. But if you move to verse 49, in the act of asking Jesus, going to Jesus and saying, hey, my daughter's sick, come heal her, she actually passes away before they can get back to her. And so uh, it comes news, verse 49, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore referring to Jesus. But Jesus, hearing this, verse 50, answered him, Don't fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and his father, and the father and mother of the child. So Peter really is, if you include Peter, John, James, father, mother, he's one of five people outside of Jesus that get to see this event occur. Let's uh, move forward to Luke chapter 9. When you get to the transfiguration of Jesus, when he is shown to be uh, God's chosen one, better than those you might have known from the prophets of old, right? There's only three people who witness that. If you go to verse 28, um, Jesus begins 
this transfiguration, but it says in verse 28, he took with him Peter, John, and James and go up onto the mountain to pray, and that's when this event occurs. Peter's only one of three other people who get to see this happen to Jesus. If you go to the very end of Luke, Luke 24, Luke 24, Uh, and you go to verse 34, it reads, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Well, Simon's not, Peter's not the only one that the Lord appeared to resurrected, right? Um, but we know from other scriptures that indeed he was the first of who we know the apostles and the disciples to see Jesus. So when you look at Peter's history, he became a disciple very early on in Jesus' ministry. And not only was a disciple, but Jesus took him in as kind of like one of his best friends, it seems. And allow him, along with James and John, it seems like, to see very pivotal moments in the ministry. Very big expressions of God's power <coughs> in Jesus. Right. So I think it makes... Peter, an even better image of what we're about to talk about, of how he went through these ups and downs, when we consider how, you know, we might say today, how strong Peter was, right? How much he knew and he experienced in the Lord. Surely he wouldn't have the ups and downs that maybe I'm going to have, right? I know that sounds silly to say that. We'd all be like, yeah, that's not true, Josh. But we kind of think that way, right? Like, we don't say that maybe to other people, but we kind of feel that, like, pressure on myself. You put that on yourself. I shouldn't be experiencing these highs and lows. I'm strong. I know a lot, right? I've been a Christian for a long time, maybe. But look at Peter, right? So turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 14. I kind of want to look at a few of these high and low moments. Now that we refreshed our memory a little bit, just about like what Peter sees and knows. Now, granted... A couple of the things that we looked at that Peter experiences hadn't happened yet when Matthew 14 occurs. That's all right. There's other things that had. I mean, we just looked at a few that Peter was especially privileged to see, but he still saw a lot leading up to Matthew 14, and he knew a lot. So when we look at Matthew 14, let's begin in verse 25. Matthew 14, verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, this is Jesus, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it's I. Don't be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. All right. So just reading this story, we kind of see the high and low Peter experiences, and just it seems like a matter of moments, right? The lows, kind of emotionally, it seems like they're all kind of wigging out when they see this figure coming across the water, right? When Jesus responds to them, 
it's almost like Peter soars to this incredible height. Like, oh man, what a turn of events. It's the Lord. And if it's really him, I can just go out and talk to him, right? Like I can go out and be with him on the water. And so Peter, I think to his credit, makes this immense step out under the water towards Jesus, right? And there's a lot of points that we can make about this and are good to make about this. Really, the point that I want to make is imagine the confidence Peter has just in this moment, right? His fear has turned into confidence in Jesus specifically. And so he thinks, man, there's nothing that Jesus can't do. He's out there on the water, and if Jesus can be out there on the water, surely he can allow me to be on the water. So he steps out. I think this is probably, at this point in Peter, has got to be one of the, like, the most incredible things Peter has experienced, you know, personally. I'm sure he's seen some things, but like as far as him being involved in something, this has got to be like top-notch, right? And so Peter's walking out. What an, an amazing high that he's riding, right? But what happens? You know, it's, it's funny how this works sometimes, and I want to step back from Peter's story for a second. Isn't it funny how sometimes when we're at the highest point, and we think kind of like this is as good as it gets or this is the best, like how fast we come crashing down. Have you guys ever experienced that? And I don't mean just like spiritually necessarily. I just mean in life. Doesn't it seem that way? It's like things are going good. Wow, this amazing thing just happened to me. And it's like you turn the corner and then you just kind of come down. That's what Peter experiences, right? Now, you can make a lot of point about maybe Peter takes his eye off Jesus. He starts paying attention to the weather, right? But whatever took his eye off of his confidence, took his mind off of the trust he had in Jesus, whatever that was, he realizes, man, it's really windy out here, and begins to sink. And in his sinking, he does reach out for Jesus, right? Lord, save me. Peter goes from being incredibly confident in the Lord, if you will, riding this kind of high at the mountaintop, right, of faith, to being someone who's sinking really fast. Before he even realizes kind of what's going on, he's screaming for help, right? Of course the Lord saves him, but what does the Lord say to him? Verse 31, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? What an amazing question that he asked Peter. Um, Peter might answer something like, well, the wind, right, is really bad out here. Well, if that had been the real case, if that had been really why he was doubting, he would have never stepped out in the first place, I imagine, because I don't think the wind just kicked up all of a sudden. A little bit of, a, of an opinion there. I'm thinking Peter just kind of takes his eyes off Jesus for a moment. You know, Jesus is clear in who he is. He's clear in his action here, and Peter sees that and finds confidence. But the moment he takes his eyes off of that comes the low point, right? And so I would step back from this and say that we learned from Peter a couple things. One, the lows can come a lot quickly, a lot more quickly than we expect, particularly when we're feeling really good, when we're really confident in our faith. Perhaps that's the moment we're most susceptible to an immediate low, right? But also I would learn from Peter in this is just because you're at this kind of mountaintop of confidence and faith, don't take your eyes off of Jesus, right? That's really what 
brings him to this low moment, to this moment where Jesus says, why did you doubt, right? Let's continue looking at another instance of Peter kind of going from high to low. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Well, Simon Peter replied, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Okay, so here is a moment of high, right, so to speak, for Peter. Confidence. Faith, you know, he steps out on a, on a limb here, and there's a lot of people saying things about Jesus, but he wants to clear it up, right? They're saying this stuff, and Jesus says, well, what do you think about it? You're not Elijah, right? You're not just a prophet. You're not, as he says, Jeremiah or John the Baptist. You are Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, right? The Christ, well, good job, Peter. You cleared it up. What a statement of faith, right? And I don't think we need to take that away from Peter. Um, Jesus certainly doesn't. Now look at how he responds to Peter's claim on that confession. He uses Peter's name, which meant something like stone or rock. On that kind of rock of confession, that's where the church is going to be built. Because I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God, right? He doesn't take that away from Peter. But look at what we have in verses 21 down. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. It's almost like in the same breath, in this same conversation, the same sitting, Peter goes from clear in the air about Jesus, let everybody know this is who Jesus is, to being rebu rebuked by Jesus as being kind of in cohorts with Satan. Right? Like what a swing. Right? Have you guys ever experienced some sort of swing like that? Emotionally or spiritually where... Like, all your confidence is in Jesus and who he is, and then you kind of take one step too far, and all of a sudden you're just kind of dashed, right? Either someone rebukes you similarly as Peter was rebuked, or you realize maybe you misstepped, and it kind of crushes your confidence a little bit. Peter's experiencing that exact type of thing. We've, we've probably, most of us in here have experienced maybe similar things to this. Obviously, we haven't had this conversation with Jesus, We've had similar swings, right? What does Jesus say is the problem? Look at the very last part of verse 23. 
You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Sometimes, in our confidence, we, like we said earlier, Peter took his eyes off of Jesus when he's walking on the water. Sometimes, we're not setting our mind on godly things because we're confident. Have you guys ever ha- had that happen? Maybe you get a little too confident and you kind of lose your footing and you slip off and you end up kind of like Peter in this moment, Right? You're not setting your mind on the things of God. And so, as he says, Satan is able to kind of slip in and use what you think you know to kind of bring you down, right? Peter thought he knew something here, and Satan used him. And so we, we experience these similar, like, swings, not only just in our decision-making, but spiritually we experience it, emotionally we experience it. And maybe it manifests itself in our decision. Look at John chapter 13. John chapter 13. So we've looked at two moments where Peter, it seems like just in a matter of minutes, goes from riding this incredible confidence, this mountaintop of trust and obedience, to being kind of in a valley, right? Where it seems like he's never going to come out of it, right? But this time in John chapter 13, he does the opposite. He goes from an incredible low to kind of a high, okay? So in in, uh, John chapter 13, look at what it says, beginning in verse 6. This is Jesus. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who would betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. It starts off like Peter's kind of confused. He has a misunderstanding about what's going on. Um, Seems kind of... I don't know if confrontational with Jesus is the right way to look at this, but he's definitely, like, confused, right? He definitely doesn't really want Jesus to do what he's doing because it makes him uncomfortable. But when Jesus says, if I do not do this, you'll have no share with me, where does Peter go? You know, it, Peter swings from this kind of confusion and misunderstanding to saying, oh, well, that's how it is. I want to go all the way to the top. You wash my head, you wash my hands. Right? Like it's like this total swing of trust. He's like misunderstanding and then totally on board. Right? Have you guys ever experienced that kind of end? Like maybe you start on the low, like uh, maybe before you were a Christian, right? You were like, what is this all about? I don't really know. This doesn't make sense to me. I kind of don't want a part of this. And as maybe you gain more understanding, you just kind of dive right in. You're like, yeah, that's for me. I see what God's saying. I want every part of that, right? And that's just one example of maybe how we relate to this. I'm sure you can come up with your own. But we sometimes, instead of just going from high to low, we can go from low to high really fast, right? We go from no confidence and misunderstanding to to supremely confident, and I know everything. Now I want it all, right? And Peter experiences that here in John chapter 13. You know, and... I would argue that, 
you know, wanting that confidence and wanting that faith that we would kind of say brings us up and puts us on that mountaintop, so to speak, is not a bad thing. You know, we generally look at the lows and we're like, yeah, we don't want to be there. But the highs, we say, yeah, that's kind of where I want to be. And I think that's fine. I think we should aspire to be more confident and more faithful and maybe even, to some extent, more emotional stability, right, is a good thing. But is like kind of that peak, the end-all, be-all? I don't think so. And I want to illustrate this through a sequence of events in Peter's life a little bit later. In Matthew chapter 26, we have Jesus's, um, I guess, arrest and betrayal and then his trial, all this stuff that ends up leading to his crucifixion. When you go through uh, Matthew 26, one person that's highlighted through this sequence is Peter. Like You have Jesus, and then you have Peter. Jesus, then Peter. Jesus, then Peter. I'm not sure I understand all the reasons why God wants to shed light on Peter here, but I do think we see a couple of plain reasons. If you turn to verse 31 uh, of chapter 26, it reads this. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Peter's kind of back in like the mountaintop of Peter, right? It seems he's there a lot. And he's supremely confident. He knows what's going on. And this is very similar, I think, to his statement to Jesus earlier. No, you're not going to suffer, right? No, I'm not going to betray you. You don't really know about this one, right? And so the Lord says, that's, that's not how it's going to happen, Peter. And so Peter begins at this mountaintop. And we know as the story unfolds, look at verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Peter's already kind of slipping down, right? He starts at this, this high place. And then Jesus is like, Couldn't you have prayed with me? And then look at verse 50. As Jesus is being arrested, uh... Beginning in verse 15, we'll read to verse 56. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who are with Jesus, which we know from other accounts is Peter, one of those who are with Jesus stretched out his right hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, said to Peter, Put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I can't appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? All right, so Peter didn't understand that he needed to be praying and failed in that. And Jesus points that out. And then when Peter thinks, okay, I understand again, right? Jesus says, no, you're going to hinder scripture's fulfillment. This is not how it's supposed to be. And as you continue, uh, verses 69 through 75, we see those three denials of Jesus, like Jesus said would happen, of, of Peter. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And 
What does Peter do? Deny him three times. So at the beginning of Matthew 26, where would you say Peter's confidence is? I would say he was as confident as any one person could be, right? Like, I'm not going to deny you. I'm ready for this. I know what's happening. I understand, and I've made a decision to follow through, right? I mean, that's like as confident as I can be in anything, right? If I know something and I'm willing to follow through with it. But then over the course of Matthew 26, the Lord's just kind of like knocking Peter down, it seems like, just boom, 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 right? Have you guys ever had that where it just seems like one thing after another is like just kind of bringing you down, right? And to some extent, you might even feel like, man, look what the Lord's doing to me, right? Like Jesus said this had to happen and now look, it's happening and that's not what I wanted. That's not what I was ready for, right? But what is Peter going to do? You know, he kind of, when he reached a low point, he has kind of a decision to make. Like, does he just say, well, I give up. That's it. Nothing went the way I was expecting it to. Now my confidence is shattered. And so I'm just going to do my own thing now. Or does he make a decision to let the Lord begin to lead him? Because when Peter led, he just kind of gets knocked down, right? Look at Mark chapter 16. I know we're flipping around a lot, but if you could flip with me a few more times. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You see, God is using these two kind of mysterious figures standing at the tomb to build Peter back up. You know, Peter's been kind of knocked down into the lowest of lows, right? Everything he's ever known and trusted with Jesus is kind of shattered. Jesus is dead, right? Go and tell Peter. Look at John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and we'll look at verse... uh, We won't read all these verses... um, But look at verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Verse 2, Simon Peter is listed as being one of those who is in this group of being together. And if you skim all the way down um, with me in John chapter 21, through verse 19 here, 15 through 19 kind of focuses on Peter. Let's read these verses. When they had finished breakfast, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. Doesn't that sound like Peter up to this point? 
You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. Uh, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So Peter's beginning to kind of understand that this hasn't exactly unfolded the way that he was going to choose for it to unfold, right? And Jesus even says that you dressed yourself and you went the way you wanted to go. Now follow me. I think this is a pivotal moment with Peter. He has a decision to make. He's been kind of at a low point, right? Jesus died, and he was as low as he could get. God says, tell Peter, the body's missing. Jesus is, going to, is resurrected. Here, Jesus appears again. Peter, do you love me? You know that I do. That's why I've been broken this whole time, right? It's not how I expected for this to unfold. Follow me. And really, the rest of Peter's life is stuff like uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. We reference Acts 2 all the time. It's the fulfillment of the gospel in so many ways. It's the first gospel sermon, but who's the one preaching it? Peter. He followed Jesus. When you get to Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, it reads this. Verse 29 says, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Peter gets put on trial, which is a potentially low moment for him, but does he see it as a low moment? Because he's chosen to follow Jesus at the end of Mark. right? If you go to verse 40 and 42 of the same chapter, And they called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they didn't cease teaching and preaching Jesus the Christ. Potentially another emotionally low moment. And as humans, that would have been a normal reaction, right? Like, I think Peter probably did feel some emotional low here. But did it alter his course? You get what I'm saying? You see the difference there? Like getting beaten is an emotionally low thing. That's not a confidence builder, just like self-esteem. You know, it's kind of a crushing thing. Um, but it says that they chose, right, to feel worthy. You know, I don't imagine like you get beaten, and I don't think it's a normal thing to be like, oh, I'm so worthy, right? Like this is a good to feeling. Some people I'm sure feel that. And there's certain, like, medical things with that. But, you know, that's not like a normal reaction. But I think what Peter finally understands here is I'm following, right? The emotional highs and lows, Jesus is leading, and so they count it as worthy, right? And every day, I get the idea that they're choosing to continue to teach and preach, despite whatever highs or lows they may be feeling, right? As we continue in this... Uh, you could go to Acts 8 and see Peter's involvement there in Acts chapter 8 in verse 14 with this man named Simon and how they're preaching in Samaria. You could go to Acts chapter 10 and see Peter's involvement in verse 34 of how the Gentiles are beginning to even hear the good news, which I'm sure Peter, from this text, had no clue was even a part of the deal. right? But he allowed it to happen because he was following. Right? So I'm going to suggest to you this. God builds Peter back up. He kind of tears him down to build him back up. 
to help him understand that, you know, no matter the highs and lows you experience, you need to follow me. Right? You need to follow me. So Peter learning is learning the lesson to continue to serve God despite the ups and downs. We all experience highs and lows, the ups and downs, because we're humans. That's just how God made us. I think because God knows that, he knows it's going to be a challenge for us to serve in some particular ways when we're riding the high, right? Maybe we're overconfident. Maybe we take our eyes off of Jesus for a moment, right? But he also knows the challenges that when we're low, maybe we're not motivated. Maybe we're despairing. We can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. But in each moment, God wants us to serve. Like he knows that's a challenge and he knows what comes with that, but he wants us to continue to serve. Peter learned to serve through the ups and downs. If you unfold the rest of Peter's life, it looked something like this. He learns to preach to, he gets to preach to all people. We looked at that, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10. That's kind of a high for Peter, don't you think? Getting to do that for God. But then if you go to Galatians chapter 2, what do we see about Peter? He's being a hypocrite, right? It's maybe a low moment for Peter. But does Peter disappear off the map never to return? No. We know that he writes two letters that we have in the New Testament, First and Second Peter. So it seems to imply that despite maybe that low period, Peter kept chugging along in his service, right? And ultimately, John 21 verse 18 comes true. Tradition says Jesus dies for the Lord, being crucified in a similar way that Jesus was. Um, some say he was upside down. I don't know whether to qualify that as a high or a low moment. I guess in the eyes of God, that's a high moment because it said that it glorified him. But Peter's life was rarely even keel. It seems like his life was like traveling through the Appalachian Mountains. You know, it's like kind of just doing this all the time. But do you think the Lord looked at Peter's life and was pleased with who he was? I think so. Because at the end of the Gospels, Peter followed him. And so I think for those of us that struggle with kind of like reaching those valleys sometimes, or maybe we struggle with being at the peak, right? And everything in between, we can look at Peter and understand that there's challenges with each. There's challenges of being at the bottom emotionally. There's challenges being at the top emotionally. Challenges being at the bottom spiritually. Challenges being at the top spiritually The idea is that we're serving through those things. We don't serve because of them, right? And so that's what Peter shows us. And I appreciate uh, the passage that uh, Richard brought up during the Lord's Supper. I want to turn there again, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This is the last verse that we're going to look at. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, those weights that we feel maybe bring us to a low, right? 
the things that hinder us maybe bring us to a low. Do you think Jesus experienced lows? I think so. How did he get through those low moments? He knew what was ahead of him, and he continued to serve. And so I think this for us is the model. Peter did a good job displaying that in his life. God worked through him, but ultimately we can look at Hebrews chapter 12 and say, Jesus served through the peaks and the valleys, and we need to do the same thing. So if there's anyone here this morning that struggled with this, like being a consistent and faithful servant despite how you're feeling emotionally, right, the peaks and valleys, I'd encourage you to ask people for prayers, ask people for advice, ask people for scriptures that can help you get through that. If that's something that um, you haven't even started to do because you don't even have a relationship with God in the first place, you're not a Christian, you haven't heard his word, you haven't called on his name through baptism, you haven't repented of your sins, any of those things, then that's a process you should start this morning. And if you find yourself in that place, talk to someone next to you. Let your needs be made known. Because this song that we're about to sing is a time for you to consider that stuff. So, thank you.